Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. To learn more about our church, please visit us online by visiting ccloto.org or download our app in your app store today. As we jump into today's message, our hope and our prayer is that you'd be challenged and encouraged in your walk and relationship with Jesus. Now, let's jump into the word together. We are in our sermon series that we are calling, That Doesn't Make Sense, looking at all the crazy places in scripture here in the next, we got three more weeks of it, where God calls his people to do something just a little bit strange especially when we are trying to live for kingdom impact, kingdom values, kingdom purposes, we're not going to fit into the world around us very well. And so if your life is really nice and comfortable and you got the house and a spouse and two and a half kids and you got the dog and the nice job and you're well-respected and you fit well into this world, you might just kind of think and challenge yourself, am I really living for kingdom impact? Because You know, Jesus will say, you know, the first will be last and the last will be first. That if you want to be the greatest, you need to become the least. You know, he he has these kingdom values that are completely different than the world. And so if we're fitting in very well with the world, that should be almost like a check engine light on the dashboard of our lives. Think, why am I fitting in so well into the world? Because we have to understand, like we talk about Jesus came to give us peace. He didn't come to the cross, take our sin, give us his righteousness so that we would have peace with the world. Oh no, not at all. Read the scriptures. Jesus came to the cross that we would have peace with God. But scripture says that if we have peace with God, guess who we're going to have enmity with? The world around us. And so if you, if you look at your comfortable life that just splashes a little Jesus maybe once or t- twice a week and think, oh, this is God's blessing, you might rethink that thought just a little bit because sometimes I think the greatest thing the enemy could give us is a comfortable life that is completely devoid of the Spirit and the leading and the guiding of Christ in our life. And so we're looking at another crazy faith will make us do some crazy things, another moment that this, that doesn't make sense. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Judges. It's Old Testament, right? So you gotta go, if you start from the front, you'll get there a little quicker. So Joshua, Judges, Ruth. I don't know what Joshua had against Ruth, but that's, Okay, that's the best it's getting, guys. Okay, like set the bar low. Nobody gets disappointed, okay? Those are the order of the book. So if you find Joshua, just keep going. You'll find Judges. If you hit Ruth, you've gone too far. And, and we're, we're jumping right in the middle of it to Judges chapter 7. So let's talk about that. We gave a little bit of history last week when we talked about how Moses out of Egypt, back into Egypt, redeeming uh, Israel out of Egypt, and they wander for 40 years, and then he's not allowed to go into the promised land uh, because he smacked a rock with a stick twice. It's like, wow, like God is like, he keeps a high standard. Like you hit that rock once, but you're not allowed to hit that rock twice. There's a whole sermon right there because the picture is the rock is Christ. Okay, well, n- another, another sermon. Now, after Moses, Joshua takes over and they start clearing out the land. Um, and this is, this is the promised land that God had made a promise hundreds of years ago to Abraham. And now we're actually at the acquisition of that promised land. And so Joshua leads and, and does some great things. He was a great leader for Israel. And then we start Judges, and the easiest way to talk about the book of Judges is the cycle of Judges. Now, if this sounds like your life, and I'm just replacing your name with Israel, join the club. We meet on Sundays. We even get together in life groups sometimes. But the cycle of Judges, as you read the whole book of Judges, this is what you would see. Israel is going real strong, serving the Lord, right? It's the New Year's resolution. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to serve. I'm not going to snap at my spouse anymore. I'm actually going to love my kids. We're serving the Lord. We're doing great. And then Israel falls into sin and idolatry. Life got a little bit too comfortable, and some of those comforts were more for my flesh than it was for the spirit, right? So Israel falls into sin And then because of that, Israel is enslaved by another nation around them. 
And one of the issues is because they didn't fully obey the Lord. That partial obedience, which is another word for disobedience, they didn't drive everybody out of their land, and so they kept that mix, and that was an influence to them and not for good. So they're enslaved, and then because they're enslaved, what's Israel do? They cry out to the Lord, just like we do sometimes. We're struggling in and through this sin, and we cry out to the Lord, deliver me from this, help me. And then God raises up a judge, and that's a a leader, specifically political, military type, raises up a leader. Israel's delivered because they repent, they turn from those wicked, sinful, enslaved ways, and then they serve the Lord. And just give it time, and you can watch the cycle, guess what happens? And then they go all through it again, and then again. You would think they would learn. And there's a reason that Proverbs says, you know, a man running back to his sin is like a dog that runs back to his vomit. We think, oh, that's so gross, especially if you've ever seen that. Like when I was a kid, that was always kind of cool and my dog would do that. He would eat so fast, it wouldn't even like, he wouldn't even chew it. It would stay whole kibble, right? And it would go so fast, you could see the look on his face. He's like, mistakes were made. And then it would all come back up. And it would all come back up. And I'm like, this is sweet, you know. And then he would eat it again. And it was just a vicious cycle of it. And we can think, like, how can Israel be so stupid, so dumb? And it's like, look in the mirror. We do the exact same thing. And so when we're walking through, you know, all of Judges, as we get there in our Bible reading, like, make sure you're reading the Bible as a mirror to your own life, not a binoculars at somebody else's or even to look down upon Israel. And so we're jumping right in, and and Judges 7 is a guy named Gideon, kind of a coward of a guy. But I love that God can use the broken and the foolish to the world, you know what I mean? And so here we go. We're only going to read the first eight verses. Then Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Harad. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. So the Midianites is who were kind of enslaved to. They were going to get ready to go to battle against and the Lord and capital L-O-R-D. So this is Yahweh. And if you go back even just a, a chapter, you will see the angel of the Lord. Anytime you see that in the Old Testament, that is pre-incarnate Christ. So Jesus Christ himself appears to Gideon, just like he did with Joshua, just like he did with Moses. And I would even push that I think it was Jesus walking in the garden with Adam and Eve that Adam heard walking in the cool of the day that he hid from. And so we have pre-incarnate Christ. This is Yahweh. And he says to Gideon, verse two, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. That's a church service right there. Can you imagine that? 32,000 people show up. Pastor gets up and he says, hey, if you're scared, go home. We don't want you here. And more than half leave. How many people become running up to the pastor? What are you doing? The goal is to try to get as many people together. Like, we need them people. Like, we're going to battle, and you're letting 68% of our army just walk out? Understand the greatest enemy at that moment is the fear inside of them. What we know later in the New Testament, he did not give us a spirit of timidity. Did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And the Lord said to Gideon, verse 4, the people are still too many. We don't know how many of the Midianites there are. Later in the chapter, all we hear is they're like the sand of the sea. They're not even numbered. Even, I, I, would, I would push and say, even the 32,000, they were still outnumbered. But like, how great, like, Lord, this doesn't make sense. What do you mean that there are still too many people? Like, if, if I'm in a fight, not like a one-on-one, but if it's like, you know, me and the boys versus, you know, somebody else's group, like, I'm getting a lot of boys together, right? Like, I like five to one, 10 to one ratios. Like, if it's one-on-one, nah, 
If it's two on one, eh, I don't know. Like, I don't want to get punched in the face. Like, this is the money maker. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I can't afford that. So, like, I, we need good numbers here. But the Lord said, this is still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And with anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set him by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water, and the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands. And what else did they grab? Remember back in Joshua, was what, what's the Lord's weapon of choice when he wants to bring down an army? Trumpets. I'll let that go, sorry. There was, something, there was something here that I think the Lord says, you know what, maybe you don't say that out loud. It might be a good thing. See, that's a work of the spirit right there, right? I'm smack dab in the middle of my own sanctification. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So here's Gideon, already probably a little bit timid, a little bit fearful. We think of Gideon as a little bit of a coward. There's other uh, passages where we talk about Gideon throwing out a fleece because he needs to test the Lord a little bit. He's a little bit unsure. Like he hears the Lord. Are you sure about that? Let me, let me, let me do a couple more things just to make sure that I'm hearing you right. And so we get here and we see Gideon having this army, 32,000. Again, we don't know how many Midianites, but I'm thinking we're already outnumbered. And listen to what the Lord says. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Like, hold on, our army is too big that you can't give us victory? I thought that was the, that was the part that makes sense. The, you know, it's a good thing if your army's the biggest. But our army's too big for you just to give us victory, but it's not just if there's victory or not, but the manner in which victory happens matters to the Lord. See, the manner in which we live our lives matters to the Lord. The manner in which we would carry out the heart for the house top initiative matters to the Lord. So if you come rolling in next week and be like, Nick, I listen to Vision Sunday and I know we're, we're talking about expansion of the building. We need a new different kind of space. And so I robbed a bank. Here's the money. I'll say thank you. You know what I mean? But that's going to be between you and the Lord, right? <laughs> I'll say thank you. No. The manner matters to this. And I think the same thing here for Gideon, because if, it's, if there's even a, a possibility or of a hint that you're going to think that you had something to do with this, you're going to boast over me. Or if you look in other translations of that, you're, you're going to boast against God. And so he's going to pare this army down so much that only God gets the glory for this that those 300 men are gonna look at them as they're up on the edges of the camp of the Midianites and look at each other and think, how is this even possible? How are we here? How is this even happening? Like, it doesn't make sense. Now imagine those 300 guys gotta come back home and hey, how, you know, we sent 300 out, crazy odds, 300 came back, the whole camp is destroyed. Like, how'd you guys do that? That's like a, like a hundred to one. Like every man, you gotta, you gotta take out a hundred for us to win this battle. Like, can you imagine trying to explain what happens for them? And so this was a great test of Gideon's faith. And it explains why this army was too large. Because Israel could still take credit for a victory if they had 32,000 troops. How many times in our lives do we only step out in faith when it makes sense to us? to which I would say you're not stepping out in faith, you're stepping out in your own understanding. You're stepping out in your own wisdom. You're stepping out in your own resources. That faith says, this doesn't make sense, but I'm trusting Jesus anyway. 
And it's gonna be the same thing for the heart for the house. This doesn't make sense, perfect. Did we, do we really think that God's gonna move and work through us as his bride, his church, and it's all perfectly gonna make sense to us? That all the numbers are gonna line up, all the resources are gonna line up, all the wisdom's gonna line up? You think there's never gonna be a moment that we're gonna look at each other and be like, I don't know how this is gonna happen. We do. And his name is Jesus. That's where we need to have this great faith, the same as Gideon. Because if I was Gideon, I'd, I'd start smooth talking the Lord real quick. Be like, how about 350? 375. Remember like when Abraham and God were kind of battling back and forth about Sodom and Gomorrah, like how many righteous men have to be there? Like I would have started one of those. Like I see your 300 and I raise you 3,000. And be able, you know, they, but there wasn't that. Because when you hear it, he says, with these 300 men, I will save you. See, it's not even just the work that God is doing through Israel. It's the work that God wants to do in them. It's not the work that God wants to do through Gideon. It's the work that he wants to do in Gideon. And the same is going to be for us. It's not just the work that God wants to do through Calvary Chapel. It's the work that he wants to do in our hearts. But how many of us draw that line? Remember last week? We draw that line and say, Lord, it has to make sense before I cross this line. And I'm, I'm comfortable on this side. And as soon as it all, everything lines up and it makes sense to me, then I'll step out. But again, you're not stepping out in faith. Maybe obedience, but it's not faith. See, they could believe, Israel could believe that they were the underdogs who triumphed through their own great bravery and strategy. They could go back to their camp and say, oh, Bob, I remember yeah, at that moment in the battle when it was the fiercest, you, you soared and you had one of those freedom, brave heart kind of speeches and we took the hill and won. No. That had nothing to do with that because there's, there's the temptation to say, look at us. Some of the greatest idols that we have today are ourselves. So when we see all this idol worship that is happening in the Old Testament, we think, how could people run after false gods and all of this? We do it every day. And his name's Nick. His name's David. His name's Jim. His name's Cliff. How easily do we put this false idol this false savior on the throne of our hearts thinking he'll save me. He has the wisdom. He has the understanding. He has the resources. And what we find ourselves time and time again figuring out is we're left broken and hurting. Why? Because our hand is too short, but the Lord's is not. And so God wanted just the craziest odds. He wanted them so bad that victory would clearly be his and his alone. So you even just kind of do a little bit of the math. 32,000, how many ended up rolling into battle? Barely 1% go into battle. Can you imagine if our president, not going to say anything else, I'm just saying. Can you imagine if our president got up and said, we are going to war? And we're going to send everything we have at them, all 1% of our army. <laughs> I don't know if I would go. If I was in the military, like I would hear that, like 1%, we're going to go into battle with 1%. And the craziest part is Gideon goes even further. God tells him, okay, now take your 300, who you're vastly outnumbered with already, and I want you to split them up. I mean, there's a reason that we say there's power in numbers and you, you got to stay together. He splits them up into three different companies. So at best, 100 people here, 100 people here, 100 people there. So you're already going to, like, we already, like, we got a small number here. Like, we're a ragtag little bunch here and you're going to split us up already into battle. And then he tells them, all right, now, now go to the armory. We got a weapon up, right? So you want to grab the AK, you want to grab the M16, a couple bazookas, you, 50 cal, anything that you can. What are we getting? You're going to get a pot. Not that kind of pot, like a stone pot. You're like, calm down, right? With those kind of odds, maybe. No. <laughs> so you're going to get this stone pot. They're going to put a torch in it for you. That's how you'd carry fire so you didn't have to always start new fires. And then you're going to get a trumpet. A trumpet. 
For some reason, that's not what America is stockpiling. <laughs> you know, you know those doomsdayers, they got everything else, but they're, you know, it's like, oh, here's my shelf of trombones. Got my French horns right here, ready for anything that could happen. Like, you hand me it, like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, deafen them with really bad sound and then just beat them with it? Like, <laughs> a trumpet. It doesn't make sense. And it shouldn't. Why? Because God knows our hearts. God knows our hearts. And if every aspect of our lives and of our faith have to make sense to us, what would it require? How could it require faith? And why would God ever get the glory for it? How many times do we boast against God in our own lives? The question I get sometimes is, why don't we see miracles anymore, Pastor? Like we read them in the Old Testament, we read them in the New Testament, we hear stories of the early church and different things. Like, why don't we see miracles like that, right? Getting an open spot of parking near the front doors of Walmart when it's negative seven, not a miracle. Sorry if you think it is. Maybe you prayed for it, not a miracle. Why don't we see miracles like that anymore? And my response, we don't need miracles when we follow only in what we think makes sense because we're not looking for God. We're looking at our own heart, our own mind, our own understanding, our own resources. But how many times does Israel, how many times does the church, do we see when they're in a situation and it doesn't make sense, they don't look outwardly at others, they don't look inwardly at themselves, they look up. They lift their eyes to heaven because that is where our hope lies. So if you have your Bible, turn to Zechariah, if you would. So we're like nearing the end of the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets. We only say minor because they're smaller compared to like Isaiah, you know, who just wrote and wrote and wrote. So Zechariah chapter four is a really great verse that I love. Zechariah chapter four, verse six. And then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of Yahweh to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. See, if we really believe in this principle, that it's not going to be by our might, it's not going to be by our power, it's not going to be by our understanding, it's not going to even be by our resources, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, then our smallness doesn't matter. Because I'm already handling some of those questions when we're talking about a heart for the house. I mean, don't you see the size of our congregation? Yes, I do. That, that's the whole sense of needing to expand. That we're already like, yeah, remember when you were little and it was time to get new shoes? We were one of those, we got new shoes once a year, right before school started, right? And, and your mom would just threaten your life if you got them dirty in that first month, right? So you just walked in fear, not by faith, you walked in fear. You know, but you remember at the very end of that year when you're ready for a new pair because your feet are huge and you got like a pinky toe sticking out and it's like really tight, you have to walk around with your toes scrunched. Okay, it was just me, all right, whatever. <laughs> like that was, like that's, that's one of the ways I've described us as a church that the body is growing, the foot is growing, but the shoe isn't. And what we never want is the shoe to tell the body how much it can grow. No, the body leads in that, why? Because we're the body of Christ, and God is gonna lead in that. But people look and say, well, do, 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 what about, you know, that's, that's gonna cost money, yeah? Where do you think that's gonna come from? The Lord. And then they look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> like, why do you think I'm doing a whole sermon series on that doesn't make sense? I get it. And we look at numbers on a spreadsheet and we do have a campus stewardship team made of really smart financial people because we want to steward well with what we have. But the one thing I've never asked them is, all right, now this has to make earthly sense. Like there's still going to be a variable that we step out in faith. 
Even the campus development team that is looking at the actual building and facility that we would either do here or possibly even maybe a new location, a new campus somewhere else in Osage. How did this even come about? Like one of those people on our campus development team this week has said to me, I have no idea how this happened. It is just so amazing. I can see God's fingerprints on it all. I said, I know it's almost like it doesn't make sense, right? Isn't that fun too, to be able to like use the sermon and like jab people a little bit with it? You know what the Lord said this Sunday, right? But if we really believe in the word of God, if we really have faith in God, yes, it's not going to make sense. It's not going to be by our might and our power and our understanding and our whatever. Just fill in the blank. After our, whatever you're going to fill in, it's not going to be by that. But it's going to be by the spirit of the Lord. That is where our hope is at. And so we can't look at the size of our congregation. We can't look at the size of our bank account, but we have to remember this is God's church and this is his problem. We simply need to seek him. So every morning, this is my prayer at breakfast, if I have breakfast. Usually it's a cup of coffee. Lord, this is your church. This is your problem and your church. How would you like to handle your problem and your church? Just let us know that. And I go on with breakfast. I go on with my day. And I encourage you to pray the same. Do we really believe that as, as God is bringing people and he's growing us as a body and he's growing us in our impact and he's growing us in our walk with him, did the Lord really think like, all right, I, I, I got halfway for you. I brought them all to you. Now you need to figure out what you're gonna do with them. Do we really think that the Lord's arm is that short that he doesn't have the whole plan figured out? Well, why doesn't the Lord just drop that on our laps? Because then it wouldn't take faith. Do we really, I mean, this is where like our faith rubber meets the road. Like we can all say it theologically until he asks us to step out into it. But faith has never been a theological or just an intellectual thing. Faith is an action. Faith requires us to walk not by our world standards, but walk by kingdom values. Faith requires us to walk by faith in the promises and the word of God. And so here we are as a church with this call, will you simply trust me? Will you walk by faith with me? Well, we don't know what you're doing. I never told you I was gonna tell you that. Because honestly, this is what I believe. I think if the Lord really did tell us we think that that would be a comfort to our heart and our soul. I think just like Gideon, 22,000 would leave and go home in fear or disagreement or philosophical misalignment to what God is wanting to do. I know I would have. If God would have grabbed a hold of my heart at 18 and said, oh yeah, you're gonna be a pastor one day. (laughs) Yeah, right. I'd have like turned, not in repentance, I would have turned more into my sin and ran. But he only gives us that next step to take. Why? Because if he showed us the whole road, we would all abandon. That's why it's called a daily walk with him. That's why we're daily talking with him. That's why we're daily allowing him to lead and guide us. But we need to have the faith to know God's got this. And we need to be lifting up our campus development team, our our stewardship team. We need to be lifting up the board as they are processing this and and more than anything of spreadsheets and and evaluations and, and interview, whatever it would be, we need to be hitting our knees in prayer because that is where the power is at. When we ask the spirit to intercede on our behalf, where we don't have the understanding, we don't have the things that make sense, we ask the Lord, step into this. There's a really cool story about a guy named George Mueller, if you know who he was. I'm gonna read it so I don't mess it up. It's a small little paragraph. So George Mueller, one of the things of his life and his ministry was he opened and and led um, great orphanages for children, okay? The children are dressed and ready for school, but there is no food for them to eat. 
the house mother of the orphanage, informed George Mueller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. The house mother walks up to George and says, hey, the 300 kids are dressed and ready for school. All right, go ahead and take them down to breakfast. No, you don't understand. There is no breakfast. Have them go to breakfast and sit down at the table. And then George walks up and he prays for breakfast. See, normally when we pray before a meal, what are we praying over? That hot plate of food that is right in front of us. Or at least just right into the other room. Like we, hear, we smell the aroma. If anything, it's a, it's a prayer of gratitude. Because we know that there's food there. And he thanked God for the food that wasn't there. And he waited And George knew God would provide food for the children as he always did. And within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Miller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. And I got up and I baked three batches for you. I will bring it in. Soon there was another knock on the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for the 300 thirsty children. How do we thank God for what we don't have? That doesn't make sense. How do we thank God already now for how he is going to provide for us, our lives, provide for us as Calvary Chapel, provide whatever this answer is for the Heart for the House campaign? How do we thank God now for the thing that we don't have? Because yes, we don't have it, but he does. Is not everything his? See, we were challenged in this thought early in our faith, me and my wife, and I was stepping out, I went to my first year of Bible college. I walked into my, uh, my really nice plush nursing job, handed my letter of acceptance to Bible college and said, see you around clown, you know? No, I'm actually really good friends with that doctor. And so I handed him my acceptance letter and I said, I think God has another plan. And he smiled and he said, uh, if you wouldn't have quit, I would have fired you in six months because I knew this is what God has for you. And so we worked out, hey, when my last day will be and everything like that. And so I was going to school during the days. I knew that's what my schedule was set up. So I had to find a job to work nights. So I went to school full-time, 15 to 18 credit hours during the day. I worked full-time at nights and we still served mightily in our church at the time. There were multiple days that I did not sleep. I would go 48 hours in a row. But my last day at the pediatric office came and it went and I did not have a new job lined up that could work around my schedule. And I thought nursing jobs are easy. Like I'd just go to a nursing home, work nights, those are dime a dozen. But for some reason in that season, maybe because I'm ugly, nobody would hire me. And I was fretting. I had a wife, I had two kids and we had one on the way. And we had just enough saved just for one month of expenses. Prayer life was super strong that month. But my wife, God's got this. God's got this. Yeah, easy for you to say, you don't have to get a job, woman. You know, I I don't want to be the one that has to go to your dad and be like, well, I can't provide for your daughter and your grandkids. Like, there's a lot running through the mind. The last few days that we had anything... I finally get a call. Hey, you could start next week. I would, sure, yes. Do you know what we're going to pay you? I don't care. It's going to be better than what I'm making right now. I promise you that. And I actually took the call when I was in a store and I got back into my car, turned my car on, and the song, Strength Will Rise as You Wait Upon the Lord. So I just turned the car off and I said, I'm not talking to you, Lord. No, I just sat there and just in awe. See, a lot of times we want the grace on the front end. We think about, we, we read stories of those Christians that are persecuted for their faith and we think like, what would I say in a moment like that? What would I do in a moment like that? 
Or we think about, you know, if we're at Walmart and, or out in our community and somebody engages us about our faith, but they're a little bit more harsh about it than really wanting to know good answers. And we think about, like, we try to, you have that argument in your head before it ever really happens. And we think about, what would I say? What would I do? And we always want the grace ahead of time. Even for us in the heart for the house campaign, we want the grace ahead of time. Lord, just tell us what we're supposed to walk in and we'll do it. We ask that about our lives. Lord, just tell me what you want for my life and I'll walk in it. That's actually a false promise, let's be honest. He'll never give you the grace ahead of time. He'll always give you the grace in the moments. Scripture tells that even to those persecuted early church followers. Don't worry about what you're gonna say when they drag you into court, when they drag you in front of kings and different, they don't worry about that. Because my spirit's gonna be there. And what you'll need to say, I'll give that to you. Well, can I have it now, Lord, so I know? Nope. Why? Because we're so prone to wander from the Lord that we will take, if he gives us the full plan, we'll take it and start twisting it. We'll start changing it. Yeah, Lord, I see this is what you want to do, but how about this? And we'll start adding it on. We'll start stripping away some of the things that by the time that we get there, it has no fingerprints of God on it, but it's been manipulated by us. So he's going to give us the grace when we need it. And there's so many times that we're going to pray and it's not going to make sense. But what we have to remember is the God factor. In every aspect of our lives, there is the variable that is the most significant, the Lord, that is the most unknown at times, the Lord, but that we can't ignore. Because even as Gideon and his army, okay, we have, we have a pot with a torch in it, we have a trumpet. Still, how are we going to take out an army? I mean, there's still that thought there. Like, okay, we're walking in faith. I got my pot, I got my torch, I got my trumpet, let's go. And we stand, we see the camp and think, all right, what do we do now? We're waiting on a word. They make this the massive ruckus, but the variable but that they did not see is that God caused a confusion in the army, in the camp, in that valley there, and they took each other out. They thought the, the, those next to them were their enemy and they just killed each other. That's why there wasn't one of Gideon's 300 that was lost because they just fought each other in this massive hysterical confusion that was made by 300 guys screaming and shouting with trumpets. But how many times do we want, Lord, just do that. If you're going to do that, what, what do you need me to walk up on the mountain and look down at the camp and have a trumpet? Like, who am I, Lord? Like, you really need me to blow a trumpet for you to do that work? Like, why don't you just do that? Because it's not just the work that God wants to do through us. But do you have faith for the work that I want to do in you? They still had to climb the mountain. They still had to go up there with their weapons. They, that, was a, that was a walk of faith and trust for it. And then the one part that commentators are completely split about, and it's kind of fun to read them. I picture them sitting around a round table and just like getting mad at each other. I love that, you know, yelling at each other. You know how us good theologians like to do that, a good theological argument. What's with the water? What's the significance there? How we drink water. Some would say, you know, some pulled the water up and drank so they keep their eye for any kind of enemy. And the ones that put their head completely down, obviously they're unaware. So we, you know, there was all different kinds of theories. Some, it's like, yeah, it makes sense. Some, that doesn't make sense. You know what I think it is? Sometimes the Lord tests us and we don't even know it. See, as we're walking through Job and our daily Bible reading, we think that our tests of faith are gonna happen like that. That God, it's gonna be a clear thing where God's gonna take our kids, take our uh, house, take our livestock and our occupation. And he's gonna leave us with a nagging wife and cover us in boils. We think that's a test of the Lord and I'm ready for it. But how many times is a test of the Lord something so small, so minute that we don't even know it is? Because that's when we can judge real character. I mean, how many times do we know, like, okay, I got a big test coming up, so we, we cram and study before, but that's why the teachers always love to do a pop quiz, just to see if in your own, without even knowing that you're gonna be tested, are you knowing the material? How many times does the Lord bring small things that we are so unaware of? 
And we're like, well, if we're unaware of them, how do we know? Exactly, that's why it's a daily walk with Jesus. That if we can't be faithful in the small things, why would we ever be entrusted with bigger and greater things? And so we could be looking at this, you know, heart for the house, this big campaign and think, man, look what the Lord is trusting us with. Maybe it's just the 1%. Maybe the rest of us are all going to walk away afraid (laughs) or we drink water weird. So we're not allowed. (laughs) See, when we walk faithful in our everyday normal lives, that's what the Lord wants to see. He would never skip over the small things just to bring those greater, bigger things in our life. Why? Because that's where our heart wants to go to. But will I wake up every day and serve my wife? Or will I be a jerk like I was yesterday? Wow, pastor being real. Will I wake up and serve my kids? Will I block time away for them? Or will I be selfish in my own time? Will I serve the church faithfully? Or will I just kind of be a slacker, sit up in my office, listen to some records, just milk the clock? See, I think the Lord sees those. And if we can't be faithful in those smaller things, Why would we ever expect the Lord to bring greater things if we can't be faithful in those smaller things? If you would turn to Psalms 20. Psalm 20. Looking at verse seven. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some are going to walk away in fear. Some are not going to be able to handle the small test of our everyday life that brings us to a moment that God really wants to work and move through us. Some are going to trust in chariots. Some are going to trust and horses, we're gonna put our faith in spreadsheets, we're gonna put our faith and our trust in our own understanding, we're gonna, we're gonna put our faith in how the world normally operates, and we're gonna remove the God factor from it, and we're not gonna step out until all of this is perfectly and lined up, and we're gonna wait until all the pieces are there. And I'm just gonna tell you right now, if that is the plan for your life individually, if that is the plan for us as a church, we will always be waiting. Because what we'll do is we'll always add another thing to it. If I just know this, this, and this, then I'll step out in faith, Lord. Let's say he does that. Like, kind of like Gideon, he throws out a little fleece there. Lord, here's my fleece. Because of my lack of faith, let's just call it. I need A, B, and C. God gives you A, B, and C. Well, actually, Lord, I need uh, D and E a little bit too. Can, I, can you throw a little bit of that in there? And then, okay, and he provides that. Really, Lord, I'm gonna need some F, G, and then we just keep adding and adding. Because it's not an external thing. It's definitely not a God thing. It's a heart thing. Do we trust, do we believe God enough to simply do what he says? Or are we putting our trust in like, understand what scripture is saying, that there is some that, but again, it's not about our numbers. Yeah, we we would love an, an all in every, you know, every man uh, on board with this project per se, all hands on deck type of mentality, but we understand that some are gonna trust in chariots and some are in horses and we're praying for you. And I pray that it's not me. Lord, take the chariot, take the horse away in my life because I only wanna trust in the name of the Lord our God. So if we believe this principle, if we really believe this, it's not just something intellectual, but something that our, our faith, our beliefs direct our actions, then the smallness does not matter. 
because the work that he wants to do in us is a work that he wants to do through us that is a work that he wants to use to impact the lake around us. That we want the lake community to start there and I think even to the ends of the country and remote parts of the world to say like, did you hear about that church in the Lake of the Ozarks? Did you hear about that? It just doesn't even make sense. But God. It goes against all understanding, human reasoning and stewardship and money and resources. But God. I love the big butts of the Bible. It's actually a really great study to do is, is find a commentary or find, and, and then look and you can search like, what are all the passages where it says something really crazy, obscure, like all hope is lost, but God, and then reminds us of who he is and his promises. And that's the tension that we sit in is this crazy weight of whatever and the promise of God and how do we make sense of it but God, that we're gonna trust in him. Even like with Abraham and Sarah looking at each other and we're like, we are old. There is no way we're gonna have a kid, but we're going with God anyway. And the same thing for our lives. We're going with the one that walked out of the grave on this one. And so what are we gonna put our trust in? So what matters? Will we faithfully respond in obedience to Jesus? And so the last slide that we had from Vision Sunday, uh, we saw it earlier. Heart for the house, if you didn't watch, if you weren't here, you haven't had a chance to watch the video, the main components of the heart for the house is that we wanna be a home for the broken. We wanna be an encouragement to the hurting and we wanna be a family for the follower of Jesus. When one board member saw that slide, he said, that's already who we are. I said, exactly. And for us to retain our identity as this local body of Christ. Yeah, we have to rethink our space. Because if we don't, what we're gonna lose is, how can we say, hey, we wanna be a home for the broken, but there's no space for you. How can we say we wanna be an encouragement to those that are hurting and grieving in our community, but you can't come here? And I think it's one of the most anti-gospel things to say us for and no more. I said it and, and there was a little bit of a reaction. You can find it online, it's kind of fun. That if philosophically we disagree, it's perfectly fine, but I will never put a no vacancy sign on the church. And we will not operate with that kind of mentality either. And some have asked me that. Why don't you just go back to two services and whoever shows up, shows up? Do we, I mean, at what point is it crazy? When I just kindly said, are you willing to give up your seat for those people and you find another church? I will never put a no vacancy sign on the church. We will not operate in that mentality whatsoever. That is the most anti-gospel thing I can think of. And if we disagree, it's perfectly fine. There's the door, I need the seat. And everybody's like, ooh. I said it with a little more passion, maybe that's why. <laughs> if you were there, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, but we wanna be a home for the broken and encouragement to the hurting and we wanna be a family for the follower of Jesus. And the last time I checked, I think the world is pretty broken. I think the world needs some encouragement. And is there anything greater than having a family? even when our biological families can be crazy and broken, but to be a part of the family of God. And so the, the prayer, I will never ask anything except for you to pray, because again, this is what the Lord is putting on our heart as a leadership team in the direction that he is taking us. And we could strategically think through and, and have, you know, like, oh, we need one big giver. We need two mediocre givers. We need a bunch of other, no, no, no. Jesus, how might you want me to be involved in this? I'm just asking you to pray that and let him give you an answer because that's between you and him. I don't know how he's gonna bring it about. He hasn't clued me into that info. He's just saying, come here, come here, donkey. Walk by faith, buddy, walk by faith. Come here, donkey, just do what I tell you to do. Just walk by faith. I kick a little bit back at him and calm down, donkey. Just walk by faith, right? This is, this is between us and the Lord. But I believe that if God has brought us and he's doing this work through us, he has the plan. And it's the work, yes, he wants to do through us. But I think individually, it's the work that he wants to do 
in you. And to assist and to help in that, we printed a, a card talking about a building, a legacy. We have these available. And as you're praying through this, just to give data and an anchor point per se for our campus stewardship team so we can process well how God is moving and working different things. There's a card. Um, you can find these, I think, through the hub. And I think some of our pastors might grab them. Um, and it's looking, again, home for the broken, encouragement for the hurting, and the family for the follower of Jesus. Wherever the Lord leads you, I just ask you to fill that out and you can turn them back into the black boxes. You can turn them in uh, to any of the staff just to give the stewardship team an anchor point and an allowing not just a view of, of where God is moving, but also to allow a voice to the congregation to speak into it and how God, it's, it, it's almost like small testimonies. This is what God is doing in my life to be a part of Heart for the House. And, and these are gonna be available through the rest of the month, and just ask you to take one, prayerfully consider how God wants you to be a part of this, fill that out, and, and as uh, a moment of transparency, like, I, I don't see that, don't put your name on it, I don't wanna know, I'm not even gonna handle those, just like with any of the other finances, we have uh, a CPA on our board that serves as our treasury, that treasurer, um, that handles all of that, I didn't go to school for that. I'm not on the campus development team. I'm not on the stewardship team. I just wanna be the lead pastor of the church. I wanna keep driving us to the word, driving us to be led and guided by the spirit. And the other thing is, is I really do believe this. I think as the leader of Calvary, one of the things that God will continue to do is to call me to lead us to sit in the tension where we're gonna look at the world around us and we're gonna look at the promises of God and, and call us to action in our faith. So if you think this is the only time we're gonna be between Pharaoh's army and Red Sea, I'm sorry, sorry. Because how many times did God keep calling them to step out in faith? And when we look at Calvary and the past and we remember and we see God work big in that and we understand how he's moving now, we only put our hope knowing that he's only gonna do more in and through us, the best is yet to come. This isn't it. This isn't like God's gonna do this work and that's gonna be fine. This is just one more step in us being the church that he's called us to be. So if anything, this isn't the end. This is the commencement of the move of the spirit in and through us as a church. Why? Because I still think there's broken. I still think those that are hurting and I still think there are orphans and widows that need a family. That is what a heart for the house is all about. And I just ask you as your pastor to prayerfully consider how is Jesus calling you to be a part of this? Father, we love you. We trust you and we thank you for the opportunity to open up your word, the opportunity to come into your house, to gather together, to worship your name. But to thank you for the opportunity to walk by faith, to walk in obedience to what you have for us. So continue to lead and guide us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said...